Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Conversations on Conversations, where each week we explore a topic to help us have more powerful conversations with ourselves and with each other. I'm your host, Sarah Noel Wilson, and joining me today <laughs> is, is an incredibly special guest. I'd like to welcome to the show Nick Wilson, who also doubles as the producer for the show and triples as my husband. <laughs> <laughs> triples. Triples is best. Tri- triples is best. Um, Welcome yeah. to the show, Nick. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we'll get our giggles out, but we're actually uh, we're really excited to have this conversation. We uh, have actually heard from quite a few people who were like, you always talk about Nick or we hear about Nick and you should bring him on the show. And we didn't want to just have a conversation between Nick and I for the sake of, of you know, you joining in our conversations no we don't want to have any more conversations than we have <laughs> we need to. to no um but we did but we did uh there is a topic that we're both incredibly passionate about which is mental health both from the standpoint of how can we support ourselves and as we explore this today how do we support uh, our spouses or our partners or family members and so that's that's the topic we're going to explore we have both been on separate journeys with our mental health challenges. And we've been on separate journeys as we've been supporting each other through those mental health challenges. Now, before we get into that, we also realized that we didn't put together like a formal bio. So if I may, I'm going to whip this one together. I'm excited to hear my bio. (laughs) Nick Wilson is the president and founder of Frame Shop Media. True. A video production company that specializes in, I, you don't have a tagline necessarily. Do you have a tagline? <laughs> no. So good already. No, not really. I, I have a, yeah, he, I, he I does, do video production. He, he does video production uh, with a particular passion in editing and animation, um, you know, which for those of you who have seen our book, like the book that I wrote, he did the illustrations for that. Any of our uh, manager minute videos, he created those. So you get to see some of his work there. He is also a graduate from University of Northern Iowa mm-hmm. <laughs> in e-media studies. Yep. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> he is uh, uh, an avid Kansas City Royals fan <laughs> most of the yeah. time. should lead with that. That's probably the, <laughs> the most important thing for your audience to know. He, he's also a very, a very committed uh, son, brother, and uncle. Welcome to the show formally, Nick. Hi. Hi thank you, Sarah. What? I, let's, let's have a conversation. <laughs> where, where we say each other's yeah, names a lot. Yeah, this is just how we speak to each other in normal times. We sit across the table and yeah. we, we record we ourselves. We refer to one another by our, by our names. Yeah. Um, well, what else would you want people to know about you in earnest? Um, let's see. I mean, you mentioned I'm a Royals fan. That's, a, that's definitely a key. I mean, I mean, I don't know how many of you know, your listeners are baseball fans, but a baseball fan can hear that and probably learn about as much about me as, <laughs> as anything else. Um, that you're really comfortable with disappointment. Yeah. I'm very so familiar with, uh, with yeah, failure, um, you know, disappointment, uh, all of those things, uh, very, very much kind of, uh, in my, in my DNA, you know, from, from birth. So no, uh, that's, yeah, I, you, you, you did a very nice job of putting together uh, uh, an impromptu bio for me. I feel like you covered the basics. So, uh, yeah, a very I, nice job. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I would say 
my my focus in terms of uh, the work that I do has shifted a lot in mm-hmm. the last few years. Um, you mentioned I've, I've kind of started to focus more on editing, animation, graphics, things like that. Um, it's also changed a lot with the work that you and I are doing together. Yeah, um, that's uh, you know one of the uh, I guess for us it was it was a, a perk or a benefit of you know kind of being forced into virtual. Uh, you know, when, when the pandemic hit and your speaking gigs started to go, you know, from in-person to virtual, um, that created a really unique opportunity for us to work together in a way that I feel like we had talked about for so long and it's, it's been, so the last couple of years have been, uh, it's been fun to like be able to, you know, do, do work together and, and, and what feel like meaningful ways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the benefits of being quarantined with somebody who did film and video Mm -hmm. (laughs) is that we could experiment and figure it out and then realize that we actually really enjoy it. And Mm -hmm. uh, not just working together. We knew we enjoyed working together, which is why we were trying to find ways to do that, but to figure out how to do virtual different. So sorry, I'm going to open my drink. You are going to open up your drink. (laughs) I'll cut this out. Don't. That's the nice thing about having no. you know, some editorial control <laughs> as the guest. Yeah. You get to take a drink. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I don't mean to. I'm not going to goof around the whole time. No, no, we won't because we're going to get into some real serious yes. chats. Yes, real, real talk. So what when when you think about this exploring this topic of how to be a supportive spouse um, to someone who or partner and honestly, you could apply this to any situation, friend, family member. Um, what's important about that to you? And, and well, I'll just I'll ask that question and then I'll come back to my thought. Uh, I think uh, what's what's important to me about it is uh, and you and I have talked about that. It's ho- hopefully us discussing our experiences can can help normalize or be a. I don't know. Normal. I don't know if normalize is the word that I want to say, but uh, just if other people hear this and hear something that resonates or is familiar for them, um, maybe sparks conversations that they might not have otherwise had, or you know, the types of conversations that people are afraid to have yeah. or don't know how to have. Um, I know that I've come a long way in terms of my understanding of uh, mental health generally, and. Um, what it what it means what it means to try and be a supportive partner for someone um over the time that that the two of us have experienced our various challenges and so uh if if having a you know candid real conversation about it can be i don't know informative or or helpful helpful for someone listening then then that that would be good i think like I said, I think these are, I mean, you've talked about it. You talk about mental health all the time. Uh, it's, we know that it's a thing that there are still stigmas attached to. There are, there's so many, there's so many barriers that, uh, that we all, not all, but many people many. have mm-hmm. that, that prevent us from kind of bringing it up, having conversations about it, feeling comfortable talking about it. Um, yeah. So so yeah, uh, hopefully that's that's my hope is that us having this conversation can maybe you know uh, decrease some of those barriers for for someone else. Yeah, 
I think that, you know, I mean, so I feel like this goes without saying, but I do want to clarify, you know, neither Nick or I are mental health professionals. We are only going to be coming from the place of sharing our experience and not necessarily giving advice for what you should do, but sharing what has been helpful for us in our individual unique situations. So if you or a loved one is experiencing any kind of mental health challenge or a mental illness crisis, please make sure that you seek out proper support. um, And we'll put in some links at the the show notes for you to um, be able to have access to that that information. So we just want to clarify that we'll just be speaking from from our lived experiences right and yeah i think i i think that is a really i'm glad you mentioned that because i think that's a very very important thing to 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 get out there right up front is yes we're we are going to speak to the specific experience that we have had there hopefully will be things in that that other people can uh, relate to or see, uh, you know, some benefit from. But uh, yeah, by no stretch do we want this to come come across as like uh, us, yeah, prescribing right, <laughs> or or right. uh, or proclaiming that we are, uh, you know, kind of the experts on any of this, uh, especially especially me. <laughs> You you have some expertise uh, in terms of you know you actually do you. some research and, yeah. and speak on these things. I am I am a hundred percent layman uh, when it comes to these things. So um, yeah, I would I would want everyone to know that um, I I do not claim any expertise, and I also like want to be really um, just transparent about like. Like I said, I've come, I feel like I've come a long way and that means along with that, that when, you know, back however many years, 10, however many years ago, ago. uh, when this all kind of, you know, the first seeds of this kind of started to show up in, you know, our relationship, I was clueless, Mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I, I, I want, I feel like (laughs) that's a maybe that's helpful for some people, I guess, too, to know that like, we're, it's not like it's, it might be easy to be like, well, it's, this is Sarah Noel Wilson. She's, she's a, you know, she speaks professionally on things like mental health and she's, you know, she's an expert on these things and she, you know, probably, you know, her husband knows stuff and they, they, you know, just kind of cruise their way through this. No, that's Mm-mm. not, that's not the case. We know stuff because we didn't know stuff and we, we had to we figure stuff out. figured things out. We are continuing to figure things out. It's uh yeah. Yeah. Continuous, continuous learning. So anyway, that is that enough disclaimers. Yeah, no, I think that's good. I think that's good. Uh, okay. So, so here's where we, we talked about starting was giving just some background on our respective situations and then, and then really talking about and exploring, um, it really focusing on exploring what was the experience like for the partner as their, you know, as like, what was my experience when Nick has had his challenges? What was his experience when I would, when I have my challenges from a mental health perspective? Um, and then also just talking through um, from our own individual experience, what were things that each other did that was helpful? Or maybe, you know, we, we struggled through or trying to figure out or things that we know. You know, the one thing, the one thing I will say to, to the point that, you know, you were making of being clueless, um, you know, before I started to 
uh, have my panic attacks is that, I mean, that was something that became really clear to me in my own journey of how little I knew how to take care and support myself mentally and how little I knew how to take care and support other people and their mental health challenges. You know, I think we have access to so much more information now, you know, almost 10 years nine and a half years later, we have social media, people share stuff, there's, you know, there's just so much more access to information. Um, but just because information's out there doesn't mean people get it. So let's start on March 3rd, 2013. That's, that's where our journey, well, in, in a formal way began, right? Yeah, you know, so for those of you who are unfamiliar with with my background, you know, I'll give just the the short, the short and brief uh, story, because we'll get into it. Uh, I, I've likely had some form of anxiety my whole life, but it was undiagnosed. I was very much just the kid who worried a lot. Um, you know, later in life was diagnosed with ADHD. And we know there's a strong correlation between anxiety and ADHD. Um, but March 3rd, 2013 was the first time i had ever had my my first full blown panic attack. And, you know, and a little bit about that situation, too, because I think I think that's an important place to start. Um, just because it wasn't it wasn't a situation where I was like, oh, I have a panic attack. Nick, I'm having a panic attack. And we're both mentally aware of what was happening. I was actually getting a massage. I was treating myself to a massage because I just, uh, let's see, <clears throat> I had probably left a fairly t- like uh, overworked environment about six months earlier and I was celebrating this new job. So I scheduled this, you know, amazing massage. And in the middle of the massage, I went from this is the best massage I've ever had to um, literally a, a strong sense of, of, of impending doom, right? That's the t- textbook definition, which also I just want to do another disclaimer real quick that because we are going to be talking about um, various um, mental health experiences and challenges that I just want to put out a trigger warning that if there's anything that feels overwhelming to you or you're having an emotional reaction as we talk through this, we do ask that you do what you need to do to take care of yourself. So we will be talking about things like anxiety, panic disorder, ADHD, depression, uh, suicidal ideation. So I want to be really transparent upfront about what we'll be covering today. So I, I'm on the table getting my muscles worked and all of a sudden my heart starts racing, my hands start shaking, I start sweating, I feel like I'm going in and out of consciousness, I don't know what's happening and the lovely therapist, massage therapist who was working on me, you know, was really gracious, was trying to get me to breathe and... Um, I cannot describe it other than it was like the switch had gotten flipped in my brain. And looking back, I'm able to piece together what triggered it, um, you know, with some good therapy and, and, and honesty about what was I thinking about at the time. But, um, but I had never had a panic attack before. I didn't know what they were. So from my perspective, I just thought I was dying. And we called the paramedics because I couldn't calm down. And again, I just had this overwhelming sense that I was going to die. And I remember one of the things I do remember of that is I called you Mm -hmm. and said, I don't know what's wrong, but something's wrong. And I don't know if I'm going to make it. And this might be the last time I'm going to talk to you. Mm -hmm. Like, I really remember that. What what was that moment like for you when you got that call from me? (sighs) Well, Obviously, uh, I mean, 
it was it was a al- an alarming call to get. It was uh, you know I, I was worried for you, and I think you know again in the spirit of being really transparent and and real about this, there there was definitely a part of me that was stuck in a in a mindset of like you know. Well, she's worrying about something, you know, why does she worry so much about, you know, like you said, you, you anxiety has been, you know, kind of present yeah. uh, in some form. And so I, I think I knew on some level that, that this kind of excessive worry was part of, of your reality, but I didn't, I didn't understand that. Yeah. I didn't understand anxiety. I certainly didn't understand what a panic attack was. All of this was. I, I mean, I was ignorant, uh, and I I can recognize now, and and looking back on it, you know, I'm not I I'm not proud about you know having those kinds of thoughts. I you know, but it was where where I really was. Uh, I didn't I didn't know, and I didn't know what was happening with you, and so there was part of me that was, yeah, uh, kind of I I looking back on it now stuck in like an old way of thinking or an uninformed way yeah. of thinking about like well you're just worrying too much why can't you just not mm. you know I'm sure whatever this is that's going on isn't a isn't a big deal you know like I couldn't conceive of what uh what a thing would be that would actually put you in a mindset of feeling like you know you're about to die yeah I, I, yeah I don't know so so yeah I um it's there's it's a mixed bag uh, uh, for me looking back on it um i i think what it puts in perspective for me now looking back is just you know again it kind of frames how how far both of us have mm-hmm. come uh mm-hmm. from that point um and understanding and being just yeah just being informed and and being empathetic and and all of the things you know that i've i try to do mm-hmm. um and i was you know i think trying to show up at my best as best i knew how to do it at that time yeah um yeah because you never in the early stages you were never even if maybe you had thoughts of gosh here she goes again or she's worrying a lot right. i mean i don't know if that you know but like you know this is a pattern for sarah i mean this has been a pattern again undiagnosed anxiety well especially around health right especially around health yeah i think part of why there was a a a sense for me that it not that this i mean this was definitely an alarming and new situation to have you at this level of you know we're going you know i'm going to go meet you in the emergency room and we're going to figure out you know um but the idea of what to me felt like irrational out you know an unwarranted worry or stress around health. Um, and so, yeah, so there was, I, again, I'm not, I'm not proud of it. It's not a, it's not a good yeah, it's thing, just, it's but just it's just a recognition of where you are, of, right. Of how that, how that moment was, it was, I, yeah, I, I tried my best and I think I, you know, probably said the things that I felt like I needed to say and in, in order to kind of be there for you and, and, and get, through whatever it was that was going on. But yeah, there was in reality, I, if I'm, if I'm being, you know, (laughs) being honest and candid, yeah, there, there was part of me that was, yeah. Thinking, oh geez, you know, 
why she got to be so worried about things yeah this you know the the health like so for people who are listening sometimes anxiety can be generalized sometimes it can be focused around a theme if you will um for me probably again my whole life there's some level of hypochondria um you know i get a sense of where it comes from in my family it's you know worried about why am i so tired or if i'm getting sick how sick i've, I've been so covid's been great for my <laughs> for my for my brain <laughs> but um but that was that that wasn't an unusual thing for me to maybe be worked up about or worried about but again to Nick's point this was the first time it was that sort of full blown and right. so so we we went to the hospital. They ran a bunch of tests. I remember my heart rate being super duper high. They gave me some kind of anti-anxiety medicine, which started to calm me down. The doctor came in and was like, hey, your your head looks good. Your heart looks good. Your lungs look good. And then, you know, and I remember being like, great. <laughs> so what the <laughs> hell happened? And he, you know, and he said, your sympathetic nervous system got overstimulated, which I'm sure we both were like, Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks. Sweet. Doc. We're, we're, <laughs> like, we'll where's the bill? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I remember being like, okay, cool. So what is that again? Right. And and then he went, you had a panic attack. And, and, you know, and I think that it's important for the audience to hear maybe more details about the story than I, you know, I know I, I talk about this in the book, and you know, I've certainly shared this from the stage, not in this much detail, perhaps, but you know, it's not uncommon for people to have a panic attack. That's that's a totally normal thing for people to experience. I know that my sister had experienced panic attacks. I remember my dad talking about having, you know, a panic attack while he was driving, you know, his his tractor trailer once. And so I thought, oh, okay, I can handle this. And then it became very apparent that this wasn't a one-time deal for me. Mm-hmm. And it was repeated episodes, especially those first couple of months, like repeated episodes of full-blown panic attacks, repeated episodes of just heightened awareness. And when I say heightened awareness, I mean, I could, I feel like I could feel every molecule in my body and was constantly, you know, or even just, I remember one time we were at the, um, we were at the ballpark and I had just gotten new glasses or something. And I remember looking off to the scoreboard and being like, why are my eyes blurry? And my brain couldn't comprehend that it was because I was looking out the side of my glasses, which aren't clear. Or or I was at an event and I became lightheaded. And as soon as I had a, a, a physical sensation that was similar to the panic attacks, it would then start me on. And it was like my brain couldn't rationally understand the reason you're lightheaded is because you're wearing your jacket inside and it's warm. Mm. You know, I mean, that's it's it's it sounds when saying it out loud. It could be really easy for somebody to be like, well, why? Why? Why couldn't you just make that connection? Mm-hmm. And And it was just because literally my my protect, my survival, my amygdala, my whole brain was in such a hypered state. Um, and, and I remember feeling incredibly out of control, um, overwhelmed, tender, weepy, uh, lots of wishing that this wouldn't like, I was, I remember feeling very overwhelmingly sad about like, why, why do I have to feel like this? Why can't, and just a real worry that I was never going to feel normal again. And, um, and I don't know, you know, I don't know, Nick, if you have like thoughts even around that of when it became clear, this wasn't like a one off situation. And so just for perspective for people, there was probably a good, like six months at least of real emotional waves Mm -hmm. and, and like what I lovingly call, uh, 
um, uh, shock waves, you know, that you could have a panic attack. And then it was like these little attacks would come in the days after because your body was just so amped up. More with Nick after this. To the question of uh, when it became clear to me, I I can't say that I you you and I both know my memory is sometimes not the best. So so thinking back on that on that time frame, I have more of a general sense of kind of how it felt and and you know just trying to get through it the best we could. I will say this: I what when you were speaking just now about the. Um, how it your brain couldn't rationally mm-hmm. you know that that these things if you were if if you were able to look at them rationally or from this you know kind of cold logical perspective that you would be able to see that it there's no reason to worry about you know that that yes my glasses are new and my vision is going to be a little it's going to take time to adjust i'm feeling warm because this the, those things that r- really resonates for me Two in in terms of the things that I've dealt with, you know, we're going to talk about, um, you know, my uh, journey or <laughs> experiences mm-hmm. with uh, with depression. That I think one of the one of the absolute like key things that I felt I feel like I've learned, and and we both have learned in, and I think this applies to all mental health uh, you know, challenges that it, like you said, it can be so easy to think from the outside perspective. Well, just, you know, this thing that you're worried about is no big deal. Why are you worried Mm -hmm. about it? Why are you anxious about it? Or you're, you know, you've got a great life. You're, Mm -hmm. why would you be Mm -hmm. sad? Why Mm -hmm. would you feel depressed? All the things, you know, like so much of it that, that your brain just that's why it's mental illness. Yeah. Like it's your, your brain is in some cases, you know, lying to you or it's, you know, uh, it, it's just not when your brain is being affected by, by a mental health challenge, by a mental illness, it is not, you're, you're not able to sort of say logically, no, you know, mm-hmm. it, or or it takes a lot of work to get to a place mm-hmm. where you can recognize those thoughts for what they are. That's like, I think what it all comes down to. And so, I, yeah, I don't know if that just made me recognize or, you know, hearing you talk about that uh, with, you know, the realizations you were making about um, or have made yeah. retrospect yeah, yeah. In, in retrospect about anxiety and the kind of irrational uh, you know, the brain refuses to, uh, take logic into mm-hmm. consideration when it's, when it's dealing with these things. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, th- I think that's a good, I mean, so if you, if you are listening to this and maybe you have someone in your life and you're having those thoughts of, gosh, why do they worry so much? I wish they wouldn't worry or, or why, you know, like when we get into talking about depression, like your life is so good. What do you have to be, to feel, worthless about or whatever the case is to to understand that one our thoughts are not our identity our thoughts are created which that gets into a whole existential conversation mm. <laughs> i've had a lot of those yeah <laughs> but you know but but recognizing that 
and also recognizing that there can be this tension within people of, I know this isn't logical, and there's a part of my brain that's like, and let's freak the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Or I know this isn't logical, and there's a part of my brain that goes, but I think you might be lying, or whatever the case might be. And so that's part of it. So, you know, well, we get really like, we get so the, the, uh, one of the, 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 analogies that that my therapist would use is the um like the path in the snow Mm. uh the the path is really well worn like if you are dealing with anxiety for years and years and years if i have depression for you know what was probably years yeah uh without realizing that that's what's going on that you don't think about those thoughts as being anxious thoughts or depressive thoughts Mm -mm. you just they're just your thoughts and that's the way you think and your brain is so that path is so well worn that that you can't you can't see it for something other than you know like it's just how it's just how i think right? yeah like it's yeah. um i don't know <laughs> and then and then because that's how i think that's who i am right yeah. right like that's the that's the that's the like connection for a lot of people i know right like i'm speaking about our experience mm-hmm. but it's like because i'm having these thoughts these thoughts must be true and these thoughts this must be who i am mm-hmm. you know and then the other thing that i think is important you know, as we're talking about mental health is, you know, when you, I don't know, when you're, when you're, something's wrong with your stomach, you go, something's wrong with your stomach. Or if you like hurt your knee, something's wrong with your knee. But when it's your brain and mind, it's something's wrong with me. Right. And, you know, one of the things that as I reflect back on, on my journey of navigating this, of how you showed up, and even in ways that I know you and I've talked about that you're like, no, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm glad that works so well. <laughs> really, well, we're establishing I mean, <laughs> that so much of how I've shown up as you know m- trying, trying my, my best, best, but, but not. The, yeah, you know, there's there. I think there's always some element of like, I'm. There's no there's no manual for this. I'm right, figuring it out. Right. I'm, I I you know I'm going to show up the best way I can to try and be supportive of you. Yeah. And yeah, there still might be things in my head that I'm going. I don't get. I don't know what's going yeah. on. I don't know why. This is happening. I don't, you know. And so there, there was, so, you know, fairly quickly, I started to see a therapist was diagnosed with panic disorder, started to understand that. And one of the lessons that I learned in that work with that particular therapist at the time, and then continued on even now with my current therapist is really trying to understand and create the Sarah manual, right? Mm -hmm. Really understanding and, and. And there was two two things that, you know, I'll, I'll say that, you know, were kind of pivotal moments uh, for me. So I don't remember how far in. It was probably quite a few months because, again, it was like a solid nine months of. Uh, like nine months to a year of this taking up an incredible amount of headspace and heart space and energy and tears and being present at work, but not actually being present at work and, um, and just navigating all of this. But I remember at some point, you asked me, what does it feel like? And I don't know if you'll remember why you asked that, but but there was something really, and I I assume if I don't remember the circumstances, but I I assume it was I was coming off of I'm sure I was coming off of a moment, mm-hmm. and um, and you asked me you're like I don't know what it feels like I don't know what you're thinking when you're ha- like so talk to me about 
what does it feel like when you experience a panic attack? And, and, and I think that it was probably from a genuine point of just like, I just don't know. And I don't know how to support you in this. But the thing that was really powerful for me is it that like the moment of you asking that one showed that you were cared enough to want to know what my experience was like. It also reiterated that you weren't being dismissive or critical of my experience, but also in dealing with mental illnesses, which can often be very invisible externally, it validated it. It could be real easy for people again to dismiss like, oh, it's not that big of a deal and yada, yada, yada. So the act of you getting curious with me was really, I remember feeling very emotional in that conversation because it felt very validating that what I was experiencing was real Mm -hmm. and that you cared enough to know about it. So Mm -hmm. that was one thing that you did that was so helpful. But then the other thing was, as I was coming up with strategies or trying to understand, you know, part of the work was trying to understand what triggered it, right? Like things like sleep, uh, things like, uh, I mean, to this day, I try not to watch overstimulating violent shows mm-hmm. late at night, mm-hmm. like um, uh, just different things a- and what helps it. And one of the things that, you know, my therapist at the time helped me realize was that being able to talk it out loud with you as it was happening was a really important part of my coping mechanism. Mm, Because mm -hmm. what would happen is I would spiral, I would start experiencing panic, and then I would keep it in, which just like made it worse. Instead of being able to articulate, hey, Nick, I can Mm -hmm. feel panic coming, I can feel it rising. Can you just sit next to me? Can you just physically touch me? Can you, you know, whatever. And, and, and it's something I take for granted, because you never once made me feel like that was stupid for asking. You never once were like, oh my God, here, when are you going to get over this? Like there was never Mm -hmm. that. And that was like, I remember that being one of my top sort of three coping strategies was talk to Nick. And, you know, I think about how, how many times did I call you crying Mm -hmm. from the office? Cause I was just like, I'm losing my mind. And -hmm. I would just walk around the skywalk, literally crying, talking to you. And you would just be like, (laughs) You've got this. <laughs> I don't even know what you said because no, it didn't even matter what either. you said. <laughs> I just listen. I I do my best in those situations to just just listen and let you talk because I know that. Yeah, I, you you have learned that as the coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. I have learned that it is your you know that it is important for you to verbalize and and talk through things when you are worried or stressed or, you know, having anxious moments. Um, so yeah, I, I, it, I've learned to not try or worry too much about whether I, you know, you're not, you're not necessarily looking to me to come and be like, you Mm. know, here's a solution for you or to, to fix anything. It's just, it's just hearing you just, you just need someone to hear you say it out loud. Yeah. You're working through it. And that I think that's such a good distinction because so often, and this comes up a lot, a lot, a lot in in my work, you know, is that we want to remove people's pain and mm-hmm. suffering, and we've also been rewarded for having solutions if we've worked in corporate America or any kind of you know other job, and mm-hmm. it also feels good. And sometimes I think a trap that I see people, particularly partners, fall into is trying to solve the problem instead mm-hmm. of one being really clear about what do you actually need in this moment and being willing to like try things. Would it be okay if I did this? Would it be okay? You know? And, um, and I mean, to this day, nine and a half years later, if I, my stress is really high, 
you know, like I'll ask you to, can you sit next to me? Will you, uh, brush my hair? Will <laughs> you like snuggle with me in bed before? Like, I, cause I know for me that physical contact mm-hmm. is a really good way of calming down that sympathetic nervous system and activating my parasympathetic like, like relaxation. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah. I think uh, just to, to, to put a button on that point of, of want people want to fix things or feeling like they need to fix things. Um, I think two things, uh, are, are worth honing in on one is especially when it's your partner, when Mm -hmm. it's your, you know, someone that's so important, so close that you have so much love and care for that. Like it's, yeah, of course you want, like Mm -hmm. you, you, want nothing more than to remove that person's pain to make them feel better. You know, um, that I think that's just going to be there. And that probably makes it that much harder. Like even just compared to whatever, you know, you, you talk a lot about, you know, relationships in the workplace or things like that. Not to say that those can't be meaningful relationships, but I think the impulse to want to fix and help and solve and soothe it has to be that much stronger when yeah. it's someone that you care really deeply about on a personal level. Uh, the other piece of it, and I don't know how, you know, how much of this I want to get into, but uh, I think there, there's certainly some, some gendered uh, things that play into uh, the need to solve mm. the need to be the mm. solver, the fixer. Uh, I think that men uh, a lot of, in a lot of ways in relationships, uh, you know, there are uh, those whatever uh, cultural expectations or the, you know, the stories that we are told and that get kind of baked into our, <laughs> you know, even just subconsciously, we think that, um, you know, that as the man in the relationship or whatever, I need to, you know, protect and mm. take care and, mm. and, 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 and uh, yeah, solve problems, be the fixer. And, and, and a thing that I can't fix. I think you might, I think this is a conversation maybe when you had uh, coach Nick. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels like something that I think maybe <laughs> came up in that conversation too. Um, about this, the expectation of, yeah, of, of a man, I should be able to fix any kind of problem that, that, you know, someone that is that I'm supposed to be, you know, caring for or you know uh yeah protect the protector is yeah, the thing right yeah 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 um so yeah i don't know i think that's part from my perspective i think there's part of it that that also makes for a challenge um and probably not an uncommon challenge for people Mm-mm. in that i think the 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 partner or spouse as the support one of the biggest it seems like one of the biggest like hurdles to get over is that mm. idea of, I don't have to just like <laughs> learning. I don't need to fix this. Yeah. I don't need to come up with solutions. You know, I just need to be able to listen and hear what they're telling me. Yeah. And, and yeah. And, and, and to encourage uh, people to again, figure out their own manual and what they need. And, you know, I, yeah, that's a good you know, point. Not everybody, because like, there might be some. There might be some people that they want. Yeah, maybe they want validation that I'm going to get through it. Mm-hmm. You know, like so. Here's a good example. So I recently was speaking down at um, uh, Florida State HR conference, SHRM conference, and 
you know, a combination of just honestly, it was just lack of sleep had triggered a probably like the first time in a long time, almost a near panic attack. Mm -hmm. And I was with my just a lot of anxiety. And I was with my friend Alan at the time. And, you know, we were talking and I finally was like, Alan, I'm sorry, I am really trying hard. And it started with feeling a little dizzy, lightheaded, right? And then that becomes a spiral for me. And, you know, he just got like real direct eye contact and was like, you're going to get through this, but I could tell that he was trying to meet me in the moment. And I was like, I don't need that right now. And he's like, I can tell you don't need that right now. He's like, I've only been with one other person who's had a panic attack. And they were like, this is what I need right now. And he said, and I figured out, he was like, I was just like, well, I'm going to try what I did with like that person and realizing that each person is different and unique. But even in like that moment is such a great moment of he, he adjusted and adapted in that. And he was like, okay, like, do you want me to check on you? Do you want to like go lay down? Do you need to, I was like, I need to, I need to call Nick because this is part of my coping mechanism. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, un- I mean, that's a hard thing to unlearn. Mm-hmm. And it's also, and it's also hard. You know, I-, I understand that now being on the other side of the fence, it can be incredibly, incredibly difficult to know how to show up for somebody when you just don't understand what it might feel like. Mm-hmm. And um, so that feels like a nice segue into talking about your world mm-hmm. and what mm-hmm. we've been going through for last three years. Yeah, I think that's three and a half right. years. Yeah, three, I believe it was I mean, it's sometime been, in 2019 that I was that I was diagnosed, diagnosed. with uh, persistent depressive. Disorder. disorder yeah thank you so much for listening to part one of this conversation between nick and i we realized we had so much to say that we decided to just go and we will split it into two conversations so come back next week as we continue our conversation around how to support the loved ones in your life who may be struggling with mental illness we want to hear from you if there are things that, again, come up for you, feel free to reach out to us at podcast at sarahnollwilson.com, or you can find me on social media. You know, If you are interested in how you can learn more about this work of how do we create really deep, uh, high-trusting relationships, how to build that psychological safety, how to repair relationships, how to be more emotionally supportive and not emotionally dismissive, check us out at sarahnollwilson.com. This is the work that we're so passionate about. You can also pick up a copy of my latest book, Don't Feed the Elephants, wherever books are sold. This is my love letter to my fellow avoiders of conflict. And if you'd like to support the show, please consider becoming a patron. You can visit patreon.com slash conversations on conversations, where not only your financial support will sustain this podcast and our amazing team, uh, but you'll also get access to some pretty great benefits like swag and Patreon-only content and events. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. You can do so on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcast platforms. When you do this, this helps us get the word out. and to continue bringing on amazing guests and having great stories and conversations like we did this week. A huge thank you to our incredible team who makes this podcast possible, to our producer, Nick Wilson, who you just met, sound editor, Drew Knoll, transcriptionist, Olivia Reinert, marketing consultant, Caitlin Summit Nelson, and the rest of our Snowco crew. This has been Conversations on Conversations. Thank you for listening. And remember that when we can change the conversations we have with ourselves and with others, I really do believe that we can change the world. So thank you all. Please make sure you rest and rehydrate. And we'll see you again next week.